Christ, who is in your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, and idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, and slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to each other, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is now not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, stathian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, as we now dive into and examine what it means to seek you, Lord, and not the things of the earth. Lord, this is a form of sacrifice that the Spirit is leading us to. Lord, it is a form of worship that you have died for and rose again and have redeemed us to be worshipers. Lord, part of that heavenly choir. And we're allowed to do this on earth now, Lord, before we even get to the heavenly place. Lord, we are called to worship you. But Lord, we still have the flesh. We still have the things that must be put to death. Lord, and those things, if they are not killed, will rise up. And they will choke, Lord, the worship. And Lord, that should not be. It should not be in our midst. And Lord, we pray that you would remove those things tonight and allow us to enjoy seeking you and seeking you alone. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Just a couple of things about this text. Once again, Paul is dealing with a very important issue that they have paganism that is not only coming into this new church plant, but it's coming intrinsically within because these people have been converted out of pagan beliefs. And remember, some of the pagan beliefs are easy, right? Like bowing down to the wooden god and saying he's God. That's an easy one to go, we shouldn't do that anymore. But they had other practices that they were not quite sure, what should we do? You know, do, do I stay a slave? I was a slave to a master, but now I'm converted in Christ. Does that mean I can leave? Can I run away? Right? And Paul addresses these at the very end. But look at verse 1. If you have been raised with Christ, so we're talking about those who claim that they have been saved, that they have repented of their sin, they have put their trust in the Lord Jesus, and they walk with him. That's who we're speaking to. These are the ones who are called to seek the things that are above. He's not talking to lost people. He's talking to the church and reminding them, look to heaven, seek the one who sits on that throne, because automatically you will look to the earth, and you will seek the one who rules the earth, who roams it like a roaring lion, seeking who he can devour. And then, of course, Christians fight a war on two fronts at all times. We're fighting an outside war of spiritual warfare against Satan and all his hosts, but we're also fighting an inside war the flesh that we still have that wants the temptations of sin. It wants the desires of sin. It desperately wishes to sin and sin without stopping. And we're fighting a war on two fronts. That's not an easy thing to do. That's hard. That wears us down. That makes us tired. That gives us pause to say, Lord, when's this going to end? And Paul is reminding us, he's reminding Colossae, and he's reminding you that if you continue to seek the things that are on the earth, is because you will perish. Because if those are your God, if those are your king, they will satisfy you and make you happy for a time. But the time is short. Rather, those who have been saved in Christ need to look above and seek him who sits at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your mind on the things that are above, not 
on the things of the earth. I use this analogy quite a bit, but there's none better than the septic tank of your life. That's the place you want to get in and dwell and live. You want to get into the nasty filth and say, I'm fine. This is what I want. This is below. There's a phrase we use a lot in English called beneath me. That's beneath me or that's beneath you. Right? We use it for careers or jobs or even relationships. But Paul is saying that sin is beneath the Christian. Sin is not worth the Christian having to tangle with it. We will because of our flesh, but that's not what we're called to do. We are called to live in righteousness, not to continue to sin. That's why Paul can say in Romans, should sin just abound because grace is here? Since I know that I'm saved and I can't lose my salvation, does that mean I can just do whatever I want as a Christian? God will forgive me, right? I'll just ask for forgiveness instead of permission and then do what I want. Paul is saying that's not the heart of the believer. That's not the heart of the Christian. The Christian doesn't go, well, I got my heaven insurance, so I'll just do what I want now. No. The Christian is the one who says, God, I need you even now. I know that I'm saved, but I still have this sin on me. I still have these struggles, and I need you to lift me up. Verse 3, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Dying to sin is burying it in the same grave that Jesus was buried in. And if it had been you alone and I alone, we would have stayed in the grave. We would have been in death forever. But Christ, the only one who can, instead of staying in the grave forever, arose after those three days, that, ro- that tomb, the stone rolling away from the entrance of the tomb, and only he is the one who can do it. Because he was sinless and perfect. And that is what you're buried in, and that's what you have been risen with. This is the hope of the resurrection. Not just that Jesus rose, but that when he did, he brought me with him. Thousands of years before I was even born. That's amazing. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4, when Christ who is your life, not in your life, not a component of your life, not a, 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 a module that you have connected onto your life, he is in you your life. He is your life. God doesn't want to be an aspect of your worship. He doesn't want to be something that you have added to your life. He wants to be the focus at all times, the greatest, most preeminent thing in your heart at every moment for the rest of eternity. This is what God wants. He is a jealous God. He's not interested in part-time Christianity. He's not interested in three hours a week. He's interested in your soul forever. This is why we seek the things who are above. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This is why you can even be presented to God. Because at some point, Christ, at some moment of transfiguration, Paul starts to describe it about meeting God in the air. In that moment where the flesh doesn't go. Because it can't. It can't stand before God. It will be vaporized into nothingness. That unholiness and that sin cannot be in his presence. But with the washing of Christ, with the covering of Christ, with the anointed one with you, and you in him, him being your life, you are presented to God a sacrifice that is perfect. A bride that the son is happy to bring home to the father and say this is the one for the wedding feast. This bride cannot go setting her mind on the things that are against the father putting on the feast. 
This is not going to happen. Not at all. In fact, verse 5, we see we must put to death, therefore, what is earthly in us. Right? And we see sexual morality the first time. The word there in the Greek is the word pornaya, which if you're hearing the root there, you are correct. It is relating to porn and pornography. It's exactly what we're talking about. Make no mistakes. Right? It is anything outside of one man, one woman, united in marriage forever. Impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, and idolatry. These things have to be put to death. Paul is literally using language. He's he's imagining you struggling and strangling the sin until it's dead. Because if you don't kill it, it will rise back up and it will kill you. It's the baby rattlesnake nest that you see in your yard while the little kids are coming to play and you go, oh, it'll be fine. Probably nothing will happen. No, he says put it to death. Light them on fire, destroy them, do whatever you have to do. But Christians, and especially students, I don't want you to learn that it's okay and I can just deal with my sin and I can just kind of let it ride in my holiness because it won't. It will rise up and choke you. It will rise up and kill you. That's why you must put it to death. The very flesh that you and I have must be put to death. It's an execution. It's capital punishment. It is the very thing that the Jews and the, and, the, and, the, and the people were doing to Christ, not knowing they were fulfilling God's plan, but in to silence him and remove him, they killed him not knowing that he was going to resurrect. Now Christ is calling you to do the same thing to the thing that we love the most, ourselves. This is why pride is the most mentioned sin. It's mentioned in Proverbs as the very thing God hates. He hates it. And he does hate it. His wrath burns red hot against the pride because pride is the act of taking God on his throne and attempting to knock him off and put myself on him and then bowing down in worship. If we thought pagan worship was bad, pride is the worst. Pride is the most heinous form of evil. For it takes God from his rightful place and the hearts of his people on his throne, and it moves him off, and it's an attempt to put a man or a woman up there. It's an attempt to say that we got somebody just as good as God. We don't need you anymore, God. There's famous phrases about the death of God. And in fact, I think the rise of uh, postmodern, not theology, because it's not theology, but postmodernism, is that we invented God at some point because we needed to explain bacteria and viruses And then at some point, we didn't need God anymore because science had improved so much that we could do it on our own that we killed him. This is the current philosophy belief about God. My friends, God has not been killed because he was not invented. And he cannot be murdered by any hand. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. That's a very short verse, verse 6. For these sins, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is going to pour upon the world. He did it with water last time. Now he's going to do it with fire. And he's going to destroy all that is unholy. My friends, you do not want to be caught unholy in that moment. This is why we are called to repent now and preach a message of repentance. Verse 7, in these you once walked and you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. I love this image of taking 
the anger, the wrath, the malice, the slander, the obscene talk, taking it and putting it off. All right, look at Romans chapter 13. I'm going to read the verse, but if you'd like to turn there, it's Romans 13, 12. It says this, The night is far gone and the day is at hand. So let us then cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. I'm imagining my jacket here, this this jean jacket I'm wearing. I'm imagining getting something very nasty and dirty on it, right? Almost as if my jacket had fallen into the septic tank and was covered in that filth, and it stank the way that a tank stinks. And if I'm to put that on, right? And just imagine, students, just bear with me for a second. This might be jovial, but just bear with me. Imagine if I had dropped my jacket in some horse manure on the way to church, okay? I'm not sure why I was near manure. Maybe I'm in a wagon. I'm not sure. But I'm going to church, and I drop this in manure. And I go, oh, it's cold. I better put on my jacket. I put it back on, and I come into church, and I go to high-five or side-hug you, and I have horse manure on my jacket. What are you going to do? You're first going to go, what stinks? Something is wrong. Something smells terrible. And then you're going to see me, and you're going to go, you got manure on you. There's literal poop on your jacket. Get out of the church. We don't really have a dress code, but man, you can't come in like that. And I go, no, no, it's fine. Don't worry. I'm going to deal with it. And you go, no, take your jacket off. It has poop on it. And I go, no, no, it'll be fine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to cover it. I'll put on some perfume or I'll get a bottle of Axe and just do the shower cloud. <laughs> A shower in a can. And you go, no, take off your jacket. It stinks. And that's what Paul is calling you to do with your sin. Take it off. Because if Christ has redeemed what's inside, and the outer layer is what's causing the issue, then Paul is saying, cast it off and put on the armor of light. I love this image of the armor of light. Because we like to think of ourselves as humans as so tough and so strong. And God has made armor out of light that we are able to put on. Students, when you you put these things off and you say, Lord, not only am I going to take off this jacket that has this nastiness on it, this filth on it, I'm going to put on your armor. I love the idea of this armor of light. What's one thing about light, especially when it's bright? You cannot stare at it. And I love this idea that people seeing the armor of God will not be able to look at the person wearing it and make a marvel of them. They'll be forced by the bright light to recognize that is from God. And so where will they look? Not at me who's wearing the armor to praise me and say, look at him. Look how wonderful he is. Look how strong he is. Somehow he managed it. Somehow he did it. No, instead, this armor of light is going to force them to look at God. And I love the image of saints, of Christians, seeing that armor of light and being forced to look at God in enjoyment and Satan and and, and the host of hell, the armor of light, piercing their eyes in pain and they look to the ground to look away from it and get away from it. Are you looking up or are you looking down? What's another uh, place in our lives that we look up or look down, right? Often I found it's with a guilty conscience. A guilty conscience or being caught in a lie often causes the face to fall and look down. But if you hear something, or even about yourself that isn't true, and you know it's not true, and you're ready to tell everybody that's not true, you look up, and you go, hey, 
That's not right. That's not what happened. That's not what I said. And with no guilt, you're able to look and keep your head high. It's a phrase we use all the time, walking with my head held high. Where do you look? Sin is like a jacket covered in stain. You can't come to church that way. You can't sleep in your bed that way. How could you enter the gates of heaven that way? We are called to put it off. Now, I understand that might be sometimes hard to conceive of how to do, but the language of the scripture is clear. You take the sin and you put it off. And if you have to, put it to death. Or if you do not, it will continue to stay there as a thorn piercing into your soul and causing you struggle. Now, this doesn't mean that you're not really saved. That's a question especially students have all the time. I'm having a sin, and I, I feel like I'm the only one, which is a huge thing, by the way, isolation. I feel like I'm the only one, and I just, I just, I guess I'm not really saved. And it's something all the time that I go, well, have you repented of your sin? Yes. Do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the only Savior of, of, of your heart in the world? Yes, yes, I do. Well, then we have a problem. Because those things can't be true and you not be saved. I mean truly believe and repent, as Scripture commands, not people who are seeking religious experiences. What we have instead is a sin-stained jacket that's still on, and the smell is overcoming you, and the, and the, and the feeling of filth is on you. And Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is saying, take it off and put on the garments that God has given you. And those might be different for every person. When we look at the armor of God, which is a whole sermon by itself, but when you consider the armor of God, that each piece is different covering the body, and that we are the body of Christ, and some of us are different armor. And I know we all want to be the sword, right? We really do, and we see ourselves that way, the great, you know, victor leading into battle, destroying the enemy. But what if I'm the bottom of the shoes of the gospel of peace? What if I support the soldier as he's doing everything else he's doing, and I'm the lowest part of the lowest thing, but I'm still part of what God is doing? In fact, I think there's very few swords, and there's a whole lot of shoes in God's kingdom. Because I promise you, without shoes, we're not going to preach anywhere. Consider a couple of other things in Colossians. In verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, and after the image of its creator, this idea of being renewed in knowledge. Have you learned something new recently? Anybody? Yeah? No, I hope not. Let's not mention any specific schools. <laughs> but I hope that you are. And I hope that you're learning new things here when you come to church. That this is not just another punch card of I went to church, but man, I actually learned something about God. Or I didn't realize that about that text. Or, or man, I, I knew that text already. But man, God is just making it new to me once again. This renewing of knowledge that's happening in your life. Do not lie. It's okay sometimes to go, man, I didn't get it that week. Or some weeks I was having a rough week. Things were hard that day. And I still went to church because I wanted to be with God's people. But man, I just sat there and I just struggled the whole time. It's okay. Don't lie to each other. Tell the truth. Because when we tell each other about when we're struggling in James chapter 5, and we'll see that at some point this year, we're able to pray for one another and help each other. And that's where real growth comes from. The devil loves nothing more than to isolate the believer and whisper in their ear, don't say anything to anybody. You're the only one. 
They'll laugh at you. They'll mock at you. They'll say you're not really saved. But don't do that. Don't lie to each other. Put off the old self with practices. Put on the new self, being renewed in knowledge after the image. So what is the knowledge I should be renewed in? Because the world has no shortage of ideologies and theologies and systemologies that you could be a part of. There are so many cults. There are so many practices. There are so many things you could get lost in. And everybody has the right answer. Everybody's saying, come over here, right? And it's all on the internet. Come to my website. Come to my Twitter. Come to my account. And I'll show you the real way. But what is the image you and I should be molded in? In fact, I'm going to submit to you, if that image does not resemble Jesus Christ, then it's incorrect. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about the renewing of the believer. And in verses 16 and 17, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that's who we're speaking with tonight, in Christ, the he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Romans 8, 29 For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And who's the image we have? Is Christ, the one who came down and was was viewed by physical people. The one who you and I can find, not only in the inspired scripture, but we can go into history and see Jesus of Nazareth. And the Romans and their records, because they kept pretty good records, and recording that the Jews killed the Jesus of Nazareth by crucifixion about that time. This is the image of who you and I are supposed to be conformed to. And I think about Jesus on the cross in Luke. They're crucifying him. He is dying, right? The liquids in his body are slowly drowning him, right? The crucifixion, you can't lift yourself up. Eventually you suffocate. He's suffocating. They're mocking him. They're spitting at him. They They have pierced him so many times, and now he has a crown of thorns upon his head a sign above the cross, mocking him even more. And what does he say with final breaths, with his lungs filling with his own bodily fluids? What does he say? Father, forgive them. Them, those who are mocking me, those who are hurting me, those who are persecuting me, those who are crucifying me, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. This is the image of the Son. And I dare say, students, if we continue to walk around offended by every little thing and every person who talks to us and everybody who glances at us sideways, we are so far from the image of Jesus. Jesus would say, forgive them. Our flesh says, murder them. And once again, the question is posed to you. Do you look down where the flesh exists and exist in murder? Or do you look up? where Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father, and he is saying, forgive. Forgive, because you've been forgiven. This is the image we want to be conformed to. I was talking with a student earlier, telling me what book he likes to read most at night when he's reading the Bible, and it was the book of John. And that kind of inspired me. This isn't even in my notes. It's just the Lord, I think. And I want to submit that to all of you. If you have not been through the book of John, the Gospel of John in a long time, Go back and read it. And I'm not saying marathon at all tonight or tomorrow. Hey, maybe, you know, let me know if you do. (laughs) But the picture of Jesus in John is different than the other Gospels. There are more complete narrative accounts. John doesn't even have the Christmas story in it. John doesn't have any parables in it. Did you know that? Did you ever think about that? No prodigal son, no, no, no weeds, no tares, nothing. 
John instead is a series of long divine reflections on the nature of Jesus Christ. You want to know what the image of Jesus is that you are supposed to be like? Read that book. And I'm going to submit another one to you. This is one that I don't think people think about a lot. But in the books of First and Second Samuel, you want to get a great picture of who Jesus is? Go back and read those Old Testament books. Every time you see a king whom the Bible labels evil, that's not how you should be. That's how your flesh is. That's not how you should be. Every time you see a king that God declared was a man after his own heart, that's a picture of Christ that you and I should be conformed to. Students, adults, I pray that this impacts you, and I pray that this is something that you aspire to do. And as Paul said in Colossians, these things are the things above, and these are the things that you and I should seek. And let's seek them together. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, once again, I thank you, and I ask you, Lord, to continue to inspire in us, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, the image of yourself that we are to be conformed to, Lord. Lord, not a false image, not a false prophet or God that the world so ready brings up to us. Lord, always some picture, some man, some woman, some great leader. But Lord, we already have a great leader. We already have a king who instead of reigning, Lord, when we were in trouble, gave of himself so completely that he gave his life. Lord, this Jesus is our Savior, and he is the only one worth repenting to, worth believing in, the only one who can redeem us from this flesh that we must put off. Without the Lord Jesus Christ, we have nothing. Lord, I pray right now, if there be someone in here who does not have Jesus in their heart yet, God, I pray you would move. Lord, as John chapter 3 says, the wind of the Spirit blowing. We don't know where it's going, but we do hear its sound. And I thank you, Lord. And I ask you once again to blow that wind upon us and remind us, renew us, and refresh us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name I pray. Amen.